Thank you for listening to the Streams Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community that strives to know Jesus and make Him known. If you like our podcast, subscribe and leave us a great rating on Apple Podcasts. Thank you, and we hope you enjoy. Wonderful. Well, welcome. I got my 60s vest on. This is what I wear when it's 60 degrees, so... Uh, we are in part two of a series called Enough is Enough. Uh, last week we shared a little bit about how you are enough. That who you are, how God's made you is enough. And I think culture tells us a list of all the reasons that we are not enough. And I think you can fill in the blank that you're blank, not enough in talent. You weren't talented enough to make the team. You're not smart enough. You're not rich enough. You're not relevant enough. Or you're not extraordinary enough. In a lot of ways, our culture says we're not perfect, we're not the best, so we're not enough. But God says something else. And so last week we talked about that, you know what? God's love is rich and perfect. He made you, therefore you are enough. And he proved that you're enough. He proved that you're of great value because he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross and for your salvation. So last week we talked about this, the, the phrase, all you can do is all you can do. And that's enough because it's all you can do, right? <laughs> you can't do all you can do and then try to explain or prove to somebody who has higher expectations that you can't meet that because you are at capacity. So um, also I think culture has a way of pointing out and saying, hey, look, if you're not doing these big, huge, extravagant public things, if you're just living an ordinary life, loving those around you in community, it's not enough. You should do more. And we looked at um, Thessalonians 4, and this is a unique passage that Paul tells us. He gives us some advice. He says, make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands just as we instructed you before. And he says, then people who are not believers will respect the way that you live and and you will not need to depend on others. So today's topic, we're going to be talking about that God's voice, his word and his truth is enough. And we're um, gonna play a little cool little video at the end. I think you'll really enjoy it, but I'm excited about this message. Paul's gonna share a little bit. And um, I'm going to talk about the three voices that you guys hear. So um, today we are going to start out in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you have your word, you could go ahead and turn it there. But um, before we launch into that, I think one of the bottom lines that we talked about last week is the fact that we live in a world of sin. And so as people, if we are in the environment of sin... It hinders our growth. Do you remember this tree yesterday? This is a plumeria tree. I first learned about this tree on a trip to Hawaii, and it has beautiful flowers. They smell really great. Um, But this tree is unique that it needs a specific environment. It's used to warm, sunny, tropical. It needs good drainage. So it has some things that it needs as a plant to thrive. If we were to take this plant and put it in the corner, in a dark space, it wouldn't survive. You give it no water, it wouldn't survive. It would start to wilt and to die. And the tree might think, ah, I'm not beautiful. I'm not enough. 
And the fact is, is sometimes Satan plays that game with us as well. So we as people need to realize that our environment has a lot to do with our health and our soul prospering. We need to be in Christ. So Jen's got this. Are you guys ready for the big, uh, big reveal for the prop? Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> if we place our faith and we become in Christ, in Jesus, he helps us. He's the one who nourishes our soul. And he places us and he knows the right environment for you to flourish, for you to not feel shame that you're not enough. And God's truth and his word, we need to be planted in that reality. Um, 2 Corinthians talks about this, uh, chapter 5, verse 17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, behold, all things become new. Your old life, it's changed when you're in Christ. Galatians 2.20 says it this way. We have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. God gave himself for you. Because you're enough. Because he loves you. And you are sufficient. We have to replace any thought pattern or any lie or any context of thing that would go against God's voice saying that we're not enough. We are to be a living sacrifice. We're to be living in faith and by faith. So it comes to the question of, I know the right answer in this is, yes, God's truth is enough. But if you just reflect, is God's truth and his is his voice enough for you? Is it enough for you to fully trust, to fully lean into and put your hope in the truth of God's word? Is it that real and is it that tangible to you? The Bible does tell us what to put our thoughts on. It says, hey, look, if you're going to thrive in this world of sin, and by the way, I never created you to, in, you know, to live in this world of sin, but I'm going to help you, guide you through it. So plant yourself in me. And it says, if you think on these things, if you have these thoughts, it will go well for you. And it's found, the list is found in Philippians 4. A lot of you have probably heard this or are familiar with it. Starting in verse 8, it says, Brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely and admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So I'm putting this message together, and I list out all of these different things, and I'm like, I wonder how much of my thought life would fit in that one of those categories. <laughs> I wonder how my thought life, does it, are my thoughts excellent or noble you know, and I think about, what, what do I think about? I think about my list of things to do, right? Oh, I have to go grocery shopping. I have to do laundry. I have to get this cleaned up. Like, but if I think about the cardinal 
season right now, like, it's not excellent. It doesn't fit in that category. Or what about the TV shows? Like, I'm a sucker for documentaries, and I love true stories and things, but some of those, if I'm honest with myself, I'm like, yeah, that wasn't really pure or edifying or good to my soul. So I think I need to be intentional about taking responsibility for my thought life. And that's really my, my, my heart in this, is you have the responsibility and you have the ability, it's not like you're a plant that doesn't have legs, like it's your responsibility to take hold of your thought life. Remember Cain and Abel? Here's a story right from the very get-go. <laughs> Adam and Eve had two sons, Cain and Abel, and Cain begins to have a thought process that's very jealous, and he begins to compare with his brother. And God sees this, and he actually comes to him and says, hey, this is going in a wrong direction. You need to not have these thoughts. And you can read the, the uh, account of this in Genesis. But Cain's thoughts got such in a, in a horrible position, he, did not, he was not responsible for his thought life, that he actually killed his brother. So if you allow your thoughts to go in a direction of the world, of sin, of death, they will lead you to destruction. And it will affect you, and it will also affect others. That's why we have to say, you know what, I need to renew my thoughts with God's truth, with God's word. And I'm not saying that your, that your thoughts don't matter or that your feelings don't matter. Obviously, we can't just think of the right environment or the right place, and then all of a sudden, you know, our reality comes into that place of whatever our thoughts are. You know, you know like, for example, if you're hungry, you can't just think of Borrow's Pizza with the, the sausage and the yummy, delicious, right out of the oven. You can't think about that and meditate on that and be like, you know what, I feel good, I'm full now, I'm good. Like, no, you want it more, right? So I, right now I've just lost half of the people right there. They're like, oh, that does sound good for lunch. Honey, what are we doing? I'll see you guys at Borrow's. <laughs> but God's voice needs to be stronger. It needs to be louder. It needs to be the voice that we follow more than our human desires or more than what culture tells us. It needs to be the most important voice that we follow. God's voice is a compass to our life. It's our direction in hard times. And I know that today, right now, sitting in this audience, there's people in big storms. I understand that. There's people going through challenges physically, looking forward to surgeries coming up. They're dealing with cancer in their body. They're dealing with kids and grandkids who are making poor choices. And all you have to do is just pray and trust. There's people here that's dealing with relational challenges. They're dreading the holidays when family comes into town or they're dealing with marriage challenges. We have to realize that, you know what? Just like Ryan was saying in the worship team, I'm so thankful for them. God has not failed us yet and he won't today and he won't tomorrow. His word is the same. So when his word says he is our provider, I have faith that he's going to provide. It usually doesn't happen as fast as I want, but he's my provider. He's my strong tower. He's my protector. He's my healer. He is my hope. He is 
the rock in which I want to build my life on. Um, I was, last week, Paul Greer, uh, the volunteers get together every Sunday, and we pray for service, we just kind of have a little time, and um, Paul Greer was sharing a little something, and let's invite Paul on up. Um, you can give him a hand. But he, he shared something at our prayer meeting, and I'm like, Paul, that's exactly what I want to talk about this, last, uh, this next week's message. So I invited him to share, and I am, I am so thankful for Paul and Cookie. If you do not know them, man, you are missing out, because him and his whole family, they are a gift to this body. This man prays for you, he seeks, he hears the voice of God, and he just steps up in wonderful ways, and I am just honored to have you on the team, and I'm so blessed to serve with you, believe me. So anyways, share with what you were uh, sharing with the team. Is this guy happy or what? <laughs> uh, I'm happy that you're here, that's for, that's for real, that's for real. I'm, I'm like, oh my gosh, I tell Susie all the time, I'm so thankful for Paul and Cookie. So we did share, I think it was a week or so ago, um, we were, Cookie and I were listening to a, uh, a message. And for those of you that take the Sunday night class or those of you that were here on that Sunday morning, this is a repeat, so hang on. Um, we were listening to a message and, and I just felt uh, the Lord just, just impress upon me uh, a little word that just said, listen. And I thought, well, I, I listen all the time, so I'm always listening. And it was one of those, no, I, I, really, I really mean you. And I mean, I, I want you to listen. And as we're listening to the message, I'm, I'm listening for how does this apply to me. And the Lord put this verse uh, in my thoughts. And it says, this is out of the book of Mark, chapter 4. It says, pay close attention to what you hear. The closer you listen, the more understanding will get. And as the message went on and on, I kept listening and then the Lord in this message spoke through this man and he said um, you're a sacrifice, you're a living sacrifice and the aroma of your life comes up before the Lord but the ashes fall below. And he said, give me your ashes. And I wasn't sure how to take that. And then the Lord spoke. He said, your disappointments fall. Those, those times when you had hopes and dreams and you felt like they didn't, they didn't come to pass. Things that people said that may have wounded you. Things or accusations or whatever. Uh, relational things. Things when... Not that Cookie and I don't have the perfect marriage. We do. Uh, but any time I may have disappointed her, give me your ashes. The things when your kids weren't, give me those. The hopes that you had for your future, give me your ashes. And at the very end, he said very loudly and very clearly, I will give you beauty for ashes. Amen. That's good. Thank you. I could have stolen it and tried to say it as well as that, but I just said, Paul, just come on up here and say that. That's great. 
Um, Francis Chan tells us, um, he said in a message, he said, I think in this generation, this, this scripture is most needed in this generation because we live in a generation where people's thoughts, their opinions, and what they're involved in seems to be the most important. And they want a platform, they want social media or a blog, they want to tell their thoughts. And in Isaiah 55, we have to realize that God's thoughts are way beyond. It says this, it says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. Just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My, my ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. It's not really important <laughs> what I think or how I feel compared to what God says. God's word and his truth trump anything of what is important to me. Like, it's his word that matters. It's his word that matters. And, and you think about how high, how much more high is the heavens from the earth? And you might have seen a picture like this where it's like this huge, vast space. I don't know, like, science has gotten to the place where they can, like, understand, like, it's way beyond our solar system and the Milky Way. But, like, to think, like, how much higher are the heavens from the earth? Like, we cannot even fathom that. And that's the realm of God's thoughts. That's where his thoughts lay. And I have realized, it took me a while, but I realized that, you know what? God is much smarter than me. <laughs> Not all of Sean's ideas work. They don't all succeed. In my mind, I feel like it's going to be fabulous. I'll make all this money. This will work out great. And then it fails, and I realize, wow, I really need God's thoughts and that's why this verse in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is so meaningful to me. I really want to do this. It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Or I'll add thoughts or opinions or ideas. Don't lean on that. But in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. I want to invite God into my finances. I want him to have control of that. I want him to have control of my, my parenting and my marriage and my relationships and to pastor and to do all of this. Like, I desperately need God. I want his thoughts. His thoughts are what matter the most. And I love this passage because really our thoughts kind of do direct our direction in life. But have you thought that God actually gives us the ability and then instructs us to take our thoughts captive. If you've been in church a long time, you've heard this scripture, um, and Paul's probably talked about it in the spiritual um, warfare class. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, it says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. I looked up what it said in the message version, and I thought it was worth reading. It says, we use our powerful God tools for smashing warped philosophies. I know there's not very many out there, but 
tearing down barriers erected against and opposed to the truth of God, fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of life shaped by Christ. The responsibility is up to us to use God's truth and to take captive every thought that doesn't line up to God's truth or that's contrary to God's truth. And so for me, I'm a, I'm a visual person. And I think about, okay, what is this thought that I'm having? And so there's three thoughts that you can have. There's thoughts that are from yourself, thoughts of that come from God, God's truth, and then Satan's voice. So your voice, God's voice, and the devil's voice. And in my mind, I picture like an old fancy uh, you know, birdcage. <laughs> and I want to say, okay, is this thought from me? Is this a God thought, or is this the devil trying to trip me up? And after I kind of cipher through, I want to take those thoughts that are against God's voice, and I want to put him put them in that cage. Oh, look, it says number one, number one, number one. Oh, messed up. I got to take that thought captive. It should be one, two, three. That would make a lot more sense. You're, you already went there. <laughs> I'm certainly not perfect. Anyhow, those are the three voices. So you know that if it's God's voice, it will always line up to God's word. That's why it's so important for you to have God's word. And I know it might be time-consuming, but with, the, with today's technology, you can just download an app and for free, the Bible will just start reading to you. So as you're getting ready, listen to God's voice. As you're driving, be like, you know what, Thursday, I'm just reading, you know, I'm listening to the Bible. And put it on. There's so many easy ways at our fingertips for free that God's word is available to us. But it's important for our mind to think about those things because it really does help us distinguish, is this God's voice or is this, my, is this my desire? And whatever it is, I need to lay down my thoughts. I need to lean on his understanding and I need to be guided by God's voice because it will lead to the most fulfilling, most blessed life possible. It might not be flashy on this side of reality, but man, if there's one thing that I am passionate about is allowing you to hear God's voice. I so desperately want you to hear God's voice because all I can do is point you to Jesus. All I can do is point you to God and be like, what is God saying? Do that. I think it's interesting in Romans, this is the last scripture, but in Romans it says, do not be conformed to this world chapter 12 verse 2 it says but be transformed by how how are you transformed by renewing your mind so that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect the and perfect god's will is and i came across this article from the the brainfutures.org it's a a website that talks about the new advancements and new discoveries that scientists are having in the brain in the in the world of brain and it says this it says in until recently, scientists believed that the brain development came to a halt during adulthood. But researchers now know that brains constantly change throughout our lives, forming new pathways to adjust to our environment and actions. The brain ceases to create new neural pathways and modifies existing ones to, response, 
to behavioral environment and neural changes. The process of neuroplasticity is also known as brain plasticity, continues through all of our life. So the idea of this neuroplasticity is when we have uh, an engaging experience, the first time that you took a bite of Barrow's pizza. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm hitting it too much. Stop it. Anyhow, here's my point. When you have that, the brain fires off all this stuff, and it begins to create a path in your brain. And then the next time you have pizza, you're like, oh, yeah, that was good. And the groove gets deeper and deeper and deeper. Before, they thought that, you know what, that's, that can't be undone. But I think it's wonderful to look at God's, God's word that says, when you are in Christ, you're a new creation. And he's going to begin this transformational work in you in changing the way that you think as you renew your thoughts with God's thoughts. So the thoughts of, I'm not enough, I'm fat, I'm stupid, I'm ugly, nobody likes me. God begins to replace those thoughts and new neuron connections begin to form. And the brain literally can change its shape and change the way that you're thinking. Isn't that so cool? I think that's kind of cool. That's why I shared it with you. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, I want to close with this. This is a video that I came across, and I got to give some props and some shout outs. This uh, came from David Gibbs, and Temple Baptist Church um, took his audio and created this video for it. And this is a, a great, great video that kind of portrays what we're talking about. It's about eight minutes long, um, but it's a story of a person who gets on a, a charter airplane and flies to Alaska. That's all that I will tell you about it. So go ahead and roll that video. I was in Alaska during a lawsuit. We're way out in the Aleutian Islands, getting ready to leave and go back to Anchorage and then home. And I had a ticket in my pocket to get on an airplane. And a pastor came up. And he said, listen, I can save you money. I said, how's that? He said, I flew a small airplane up here. I fly a small airplane, and I can take you in my little airplane, and you can save your ticket. And this did not sound good. I said, gee, thank you so very, very much. But I've got this ticket. We'll just make our way on home, me and this other lawyer with me. He said, no, 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 you've got to do it. You've got to do it. And against every better judgment I had, I said, okay. Well, we went out to the airport, took us by his little plane, and I looked at it, and I thought, well, one good thing, it's shiny. Then he walked around it. We got in. He's on the left front. I'm on the right front. The other lawyer's sitting right behind me. And he started it up. And it started up just fine. Well, we taxied out. I said, should we pray? He said, yeah, that's a good idea. We normally don't. I said, well, this time we'll get it. <laughs> and I'm telling you, I prayed five, eight minutes. I prayed a long time. We went and got on the runway. He starts down the runway plane lifted off ever so gently and we start climbing and it's wonderful not a problem in the world we started climbing and we flew probably three four minutes and something happened that will never leave my mind the pilot turned to me and he said we're going in the clouds and i can't fly in clouds they make me pass out i said clouds make you do what <laughs> now it's been cloudy all day and we go right up into the clouds, and you can't see anything. And he looks at me, and his eyes roll back in his head, 
and he starts mumbling, and he passes out, passed out cold. Now, I grabbed him, and I shook him, and I said, come on, you've got to wake up so I can kill you. Now, we're in the clouds flying along with no power. And my friend in the back seat said, we're dead, aren't we? I said, there's a very good chance of that, yes. He said, what are we going to do? I said, I don't know. But there was a radio right there, and I handed him the microphone, and I said, start asking for help. So he's in the back seat reaching up, and he said, hello, hello. We didn't know any proper radio etiquette. All we were saying was hello. And somebody answered back, hello, hello. Don't you guys know proper radio etiquette? And I said, yes. I said, tell them we don't know nothing. Tell them we're in an airplane with a passed out pilot, and we don't know how to fly this plane. The guy said, I'm a freighter flying out of Anchorage on the way to Tokyo. He said, you're telling me you have nobody that can fly that plane with you? I said, tell them that's correct. Now, you can understand, I am sweating bullets. He said, the first thing I'm going to do is start circling so I don't lose you because I'll fly out of range of your radio and you won't have me anymore. And he said, I'm going to get Anchorage Emergency for you. And Anchorage Emergency will be the people that can maybe help you try to save your life. After about five minutes, Anchorage came on and said, we understand you have a passed out pilot. And those of you who do not know how to fly that plane, he said, that's right. They said, well, the first thing we got to do is find you. And I'll never forget what this man at Anchorage said. He says, my job is to get you home safe. Said, that's my job. But he said, here's the deal. If you want me to get you home safe, you got to promise me you'll obey my voice. He said, you can't see me, but I can see you. And he said, if you're not going to obey my voice, you're going to die. When you can't see anything, you have no idea how disorientated you become. Finally, he said, okay, I found you. Now, hear me clearly. He said, you're four minutes from a mountain. He said, you're going to crash in that mountain and die. Follow my voice. I never said that reasonable? You see, I understood without his voice, I have nothing. And do you understand, without God's voice, you have nothing. Nothing. Finally, he got his turn. And he said, I'm freezing all the traffic in the area. He said, it's going to take me an hour and a half to get you to Anchorage, and there's a lot of weather between you and Anchorage. You're in for a rough ride. And he said, I want you to hear me. I don't want you to look at what's going on outside. I don't want you to pay attention to the storm, just my voice. He said, if you start watching the storm, you will die. But I'll take you through it. Now, because they cleared all the traffic, several pilots, those nighttime freighters, those 747s started talking to us. They said, we're praying for you, men. You're going to make it. Listen to the voice. That's the key. They said, trust the voice. Do you realize your head is full of voices? And everybody in this world wants to talk to you. And everybody wants to be the controlling voice. And God says, I want you to be a living sacrifice. I want you to put yourself on the altar and let my voice be your voice. Finally, we went through the worst of the weather, but there was still more. And then the voice came back and he said, now, I'm going to line you up. He said, I'm going to bring you in right down the runway. And at the foot of the runway are some lights, and they're in the form of a cross. He said, don't you forget this. The cross is the way home. Finally, he's bringing us down. We still can't see anything. And all he kept saying was, stay with me. My sheep, the Bible says, hear my voice, and they follow me. 
finally, just a couple hundred feet off the ground, we saw the cross. I landed the plane. In fact, I landed it seven times. <laughs> finally, it all came to a stop, and the minute we stopped, the pilot woke up. The voice said, I'm still asleep. I watch them crash and burn all the time because they won't follow my voice. They don't understand I'm the one who can see them even when they can't see me. But they get the voices in their head and they kill themselves. They self-destruct. Thanks for listening to the voice. Then they put us in a motel room in about four in the morning. Knock at my door. I open the door and a man was standing there. He said, hello, David. I heard your voice. You're the one who got me home. He said, I do you understand one day you're going to stand before him and say, you were the voice. You're the voice that brought me home. If you're not on that altar as a living sacrifice, your head's full of voices. And then we wonder why kids crash and burn. We wonder why marriages are shattered. And the Lord's saying, I'm the one who has the voice. All I can remember is that voice saying, stay with me. Stay with me. Don't listen to what's going on in your head or don't watch the storm. Stay with me. team comes this is the best part of the service I just want you to settle your heart and ask God what are you saying to me God what are you saying to me Father thank you for your voice I pray you'd speak to the people right now what are you saying captive thoughts that are opposing to your word. 